Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy ox, nor thy ass, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Seventh-day Adventists are Sabbath keepers. Exodus 28 through 11 is one of our favorite passages in all of Scripture. Because my parents helped me memorize it from the King James Version before I could read, it's almost impossible for me to repeat that ver- those verses in any other translation. Seventh-day Adventists are Sabbath keepers. It's right in our name. We believe in the seventh-day Sabbath. Some of us can argue the Sabbath's ongoing validity using Bible texts in both the Old and New Testaments. Seventh-day Adventists are Sabbath keepers. But after we've finished arguing the issue of the correct day of worship, what does it mean that we are Sabbath keepers? That we don't swim on Sabbath? That we used to not swim on Sabbath? (laughs) That we feel a bit guilty if we swim on Sabbath? Lots of energy has gone into debating what constitutes work or inappropriate activities over the Sabbath hours. However, notice that the commandment doesn't focus on the work part as much as on the people part. That is, those who are forbidden to work. You, your children, your slaves, strangers, even your animals. The Sabbath hours eliminated the social distinctions created by work. By definition, a slave worked on behalf of his or her master. Sons and daughters did whatever work a parent asked. Animals were kept, fed in order to do hard work. Strangers in town were probably there precisely to find work and food for their families. But this first giving of the Sabbath commandment reminded people of creation week. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested the seventh day. Sabbath was a day when all living creatures experienced life in the presence of God. And it was good. In the second giving of the Sabbath commandment, found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the list of those who are forbidden to work on the Sabbath is extended and emphasized even more. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. 
Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice the way that equality on the Sabbath was emphasized. On the Sabbath, your slaves rest with you, as does the resident alien living in your towns, those people who must work night and day just to survive. They, like you, rest. How would it be possible for the slaves and the resident aliens to stop working? What must this have meant for social interactions on that day. Notice that in Deuteronomy's telling of the commandment, people keep the Sabbath in memory of the experience of their redemption, their freedom from oppression and slavery in Egypt. This second giving of the Sabbath commandment says, you who know what it's like to work seven days a week as a slave, Your society will be structured in a new way. One day in seven, everyone will rest. And that experience, that built-in cycle in your lives, is a regular reminder of your freedom from bondage. If that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough for the children of Israel to remember the huge difference between life in bondage and life with Yahweh, There were other cycles of seven. Every seventh year, the sabbatical year, they were to let their fields rest. Why? According to Exodus 32.12, so that the poor of your people may eat. Leviticus 25 records the voice of God saying that all the food from my land during the Sabbath year is for eating. For you and those who live with you, slaves, hired hands, bound laborers, for you and those who live with you. Also on the seventh year, debts were forgiven. Deuteronomy 15 anticipates the people's reaction to the poor who ask for a loan just prior to the seventh year. Yahweh's voice repeats over and over again, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor, but rather open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. And then, every seven times seven years, every 49th year, was to be a celebration of liberty throughout the entire land. Everyone was free. Notice how their understanding of Jubilee year changed how they lived during all those other years. 
Again, Leviticus 25. If any who are dependent on you become so impoverished that they sell themselves to you, you shall not make them serve as slaves. They shall remain with you as hired or bound laborers. They shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then they and their children with them shall be free from your authority. They shall go back to their own family and return to their ancestral property. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves are sold. Sabbath celebrated as Jubilee, as the year of the Lord's favor meant that restoration of economic equality. Debts gone, no longer servants working someone else's land, but their own land returned to them regardless of how it had become lost. For Israel, the Sabbath was a rich tradition. It was a reminder of creation and the experience of the presence of God. It was a reminder of redemption and freedom from oppression, from bondage. And it was a reminder of jubilee and the restoration of economic justice. Generations after Israel received these commands, it was a Sabbath day. It was a Sabbath day. And Jesus was in the synagogue of his hometown. Sometimes... Sometimes it's strange to return to the church of one's childhood after being away for a while. Seeing the kids you remember playing with, with kids of their own. Seeing your Sabbath school teacher or your Pathfinder leader for the first time in years. Noticing how some families are sitting in the very same pews. Feeling that lump in your throat at certain now empty seats. Sometimes, sometimes it's strange to return to the church of your childhood. It was Sabbath, and Jesus was home. And he stood to read from Isaiah's scroll, chapter 42. This scene is found in Luke chapter 4. He stood and he read... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, after rolling up the scroll, Jesus said, Today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus claimed that Isaiah's vision of the ultimate Jubilee year had been fulfilled that Sabbath. Jesus proclaims, today is Sabbath. It's the day that celebrates humanity was created to live in the presence of God. Today is the Sabbath. And it celebrates that humanity is meant to be free from bondage. 
Today is the Sabbath. And it celebrates that humanity is restored from economic injustice. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4 is the first time Jesus goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath. Chapter 13 will be the last time Jesus goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, verse 10, tells this story. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over, was quite unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, Woman, you are set free from your ailments. When he had laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and she began praising God. The unnamed woman is bent over. For 18 years, she has known only restricted movement, able to see people only at a slant, never eye to eye, mostly seeing people's feet. Did she have some disease, something some of us can relate to? Osteoporosis, arthritis? Or had she experienced so much back-breaking work that her body retained the scars? American Megan McKenna considers this woman in light of women and men that she encounters in her travels. And then she reflects on her own country. She says this, On my first trip to Japan, I noticed older men and women so stooped and bent that they were unable to stand up. It wasn't until I traveled to the countryside that I realized these were farmers who had grown up in the rice fields, bent over and hand-sowing, weeding and reaping the rice harvest. They had spent their lives standing in wet fields, raising the staple food of a densely packed nation. In my own country, those who do the back-breaking work of picking grapes, lettuce, and other produce are young, the women, and those most in need of work. They work long hours for the meagerest wages, suffering from conditions brought on by the weather, malnutrition, pesticides, lack of decent housing, and lack of health care. They constitute a lower caste that provides the undergirding of a society of wealth that depends upon them, yet ignores and oppresses them. That Sabbath, when Jesus was in her synagogue, he did not ignore her. In fact, he stops teaching as soon as he sees her. Immediately, he says, woman, you are set free from your ailment. She is set free, released. Like her ancestors, the slaves in Egypt, she experiences freedom, restoration. Later in the story, when the crowd witnesses these events, the people rejoice at the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. That word for wonderful things is found only here in all the New Testament, a word associated with the mighty acts of God during the Exodus. Freedom, redemption, 
end of oppression. When the woman stands up straight for the first time in 18 years, she immediately bursts forth in praise to God. For the first time in the story, she has a voice. But another's voice will dominate the story for a time. The leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. Wait, says the leader of the synagogue. Your timing is off. The day will come for restoration and wholeness, for standing up straight and having a voice, for equality. Be patient. Wait until the proper time. The church is not ready right now. We need to study this for a while. We need to set up another commission on proper Sabbath healings. Be patient. But she had been patient. She had waited for 18 years. For 18 years, she had found ways to survive as a bent-over woman. She even remained committed to regular attendance at her synagogue. And then Jesus sees her. And his convictions concerning the Sabbath shout, the time is now. Jesus can live no other way. For the Sabbath is the day of restoration and healing and wholeness and equality. The day for everyone's voice to be heard. The day that celebrates creation and redemption and jubilee. Jesus' words to the leader of the synagogue and anyone buying his call to wait. Jesus' words are sharp. Scripture says he answered them, verse 15, and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, should she not be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day is to celebrate release from Satan's bondage. That is precisely how one keeps the Sabbath. Notice who has caused the bondage? Satan. Satan is the one who binds and disfigures and diminishes people. When we are bound up and bent over, that's Satan's doing, not God's. From the perspective of God's kingdom, it is tragic when any child of Abraham is kept bound on the Sabbath. Bound and bent over because of childhood scars. Bound and bent over because of prejudice, oppression, injustice. From the perspective of God's kingdom, it is tragic when any child of Abraham is bound from entering certain rooms or vocations, bound from praising God, from preaching, from using God-given gifts, that is Satan's doing. That's not God's. God's kingdom is about setting people free 
and helping them stand up straight, to be able to look others in the eye again, to have a voice. The bent-over woman is a daughter of Abraham, a child of the covenant promise. Jesus, as the fulfillment of Jubilee, keeps Sabbath the way God intended it to be kept, through acts of restoration and celebration. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. His Sabbath convictions made him act for restoration and justice when he saw a bent-over woman. Sabbath keepers act in the face of tragedy and sickness and injustice. Sabbath keepers act when they see bent-over women in Baghdad and South Sudan holding their babies, rocking in sorrow. Sabbath keepers act when people are bent over trying to identify a loved one from the rubble in Syria. Sabbath keepers act when homes and hopes are washed away. Sabbath keepers act when a bent-over person enters our sanctuary or our counseling center or our classrooms. Sabbath keepers act in ways that heal bodies and restore justice and restore hope. Sabbath keepers teach people to read and hold peace conferences and participate in Stormco projects because Sabbath keepers know that all oppression, all that keeps people bound and bent over is of Satan. But the kingdom of God is about freeing bound people, helping them stand up straight and recover their voices. New Testament professor Francis Taylor Gensch says this, What does the kingdom of God look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? For those with eyes to see, it looks like a woman standing up straight in the midst of the congregation, praising God. Do you see it? Do you see the kingdom of God? There are hints that the two parables that immediately follow this story go along with it are there purposefully. They both answer the question, what is the kingdom of God like? And one of those parables is about a mustard seed that's planted and then grows. And the other parable is about the yeast a woman uses when making bread. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see the kingdom of God growing and growing and rising and rising? Do you have eyes to see the inbreaking of God's kingdom when a bent woman stands up straight? When a mustard seed is growing? When the hands of a woman who has needed many a loaf mixes in the yeast? Do you see it? Do you see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? When girls and boys come up on this platform for a story from scripture and they are all valued, they are all treasured by this community. Do you see it? Do you see the inbreaking of the kingdom? When women and men at this college study Greek and Hebrew and homiletics together, do you see it? Do you see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? 
When musical festivals bring together people from all nations and tribes and languages and ethnicities to praise the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you see it? Do you see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? When the North German Union amends its constitution and treats male and female clergy the same, calling it an act of conscience in light of the gospel, do you see it? Do you see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? It's Sabbath, the day we celebrate the presence of God. And with the presence of God comes redemption and justice and economic restoration. It's not only a vision of the future, but as an experience of Sabbath in the present. With the presence of God comes healing of all that binds us, all that bends us out of shape. A hundred and sixty-eight years ago this spring, one hundred and sixty-eight years ago this spring, Advent believers wept because October 22 had come and gone and they were not in the presence of God. It was a great disappointment, not because they were wrong about a date. It was a great disappointment because they longed for God's presence. They believed that God's presence would eliminate the injustice of slavery. The wars around the globe, the sickness suffered by so many children and women and men. They believed that God's presence would end death forever. And families would be reunited in a new kingdom of peace and justice. After those days, those days of weeping at God's absence, they came to embrace the Sabbath tradition. They gradually realized that the Sabbath was the experience of God's presence now. The Sabbath was a reminder of creation, life in the presence of God, a day of celebration, a day of restoration, a day of social and economic justice. During the first decades of the Adventist church, they had to fight against slavery and for peace and for health care for the most vulnerable because they were Sabbath keepers. In harmony with its heritage, the North German Union and the Columbia Union, located on the east coast of the United States, proclaimed that if we believe that the new earth will be a place of equality and justice and peace because of God's presence, and if we believe that God is present with us now in the experience of the Sabbath, then now is the time to live as a community of equality and justice and peace. And just last Sunday, the Columbia Union in a constituency meeting, voted to authorize ordination to the gospel ministry without regard to gender. Over the decades, I have heard people occasionally say, I am so tired of the debate over the ordination of women. I'm just so tired of hearing about it. 
Well, my Sabbath-keeping friends, the debate will continue until the church we love is true to itself. As long as we have policies of inequality, we will be in conflict with ourselves, with our very convictions as Seventh-day Adventists. Because the ordination of women issue is a Sabbath issue. After we have carefully argued the correct day of worship before our Creator and Redeemer, what is the correct way of worship before our Creator and Redeemer. If Seventh-day Adventists are Sabbath keepers, we must embrace Sabbath justice. We must be serious about creation as equality of men and women before their Creator. We must be serious about redemption as freedom from slavery and oppression and about jubilee as economic restoration. We must be serious about restoring bent-over women and men and children. If Seventh-day Adventists are Sabbath keepers, we must embrace Sabbath justice as we celebrate the presence of God now and in the future. If Seventh-day Adventists our Sabbath keepers, if we embrace the stories of Scripture as our own stories, we must embrace Sabbath justice. Amen.